Do you know what your name means? So my name, my given name is Jonathan, which means it means given of God or gift of God. A little tough for my big sisters. You think you're God's gift. I'm like, well, that is my name, you know. <laughs> my wife, her name is Clancy. That's a, a unique, uh, unusual name, especially for a woman. It, uh, it's a Gaelic name, uh, Irish Gaelic. Uh, Clancy means red-haired warrior. So she does not have red hair, but I would go to battle with her anytime. Not against her. I would go with her into battle. Um, we weren't uh, too worried about the meaning of our children's names when we named them. Um, my, my daughter is named Shannon, which means Old River. It's not particularly inspiring to her in her life, uh, but kind of a nod to my wife's Irish heritage, of course. Uh, my son, Calvin, that's more of a French name. It means bald. So I don't know if that will be his destiny. There are some men in our family who have fantastic hair, and there are those who don't. And so we'll see over time if he lives into his name, bald. Um, <laughs> over 700 years before Jesus, God promised his people that there would be a special child to be born. This child would become a king an eternal king, and rule over God's people eternally. The child was given four special names, four divine titles. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. These four names, these four titles, explain all of what Christmas is all about. It's all about Jesus. Jesus is the wonderful counselor. Jesus is mighty God. Jesus is everlasting father. Jesus is prince of peace. Jesus fulfills all these things. Uh, all of these names, all these titles, beautifully encapsulate the person in the work of Jesus Christ, who he is and what he has done. And this child to be born is unto us. Unto us the son is given. It's for us. It is for our benefit. It is for our blessing that this baby was to be born. So each week of Advent, we're going to take one of these names and we're going to unpack it and explore who Jesus is uh, as Wonderful Counselor, as Mighty God, uh, one for each week. Now, I know some people did not grow up in a tradition where they, they celebrated Advent. So in, in our tradition, you know, Christmas is not just a, a one-day holiday or a Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, but it's a whole season of the year, really the four weeks leading up to Christmas, where we uh, focus on Jesus coming to this world, God taking on human flesh. And so this year is unique because the, the four Sundays of Advent, the fourth Sunday of Advent is the 24th of December, which we also call Christmas Eve. And so instead of doing fourth Advent in the morning and then Christmas Eve in the evening, we're going to do fourth Advent, Christmas Eve, all day long, the same. So with that, we have a little, there's these little cards. If you want to invite somebody to Christmas Eve service, which also fourth Advent, 10 a.m., 4 p.m., 6 p.m., and 11 p.m. So at the 10, 4, and 6, uh, we'll have, again, we'll be, we'll be preaching Prince of Peace, thinking about that name. And we have also the Follow the Star. So the kids come, they can play Follow the Star. We have a new star. See the new star? Did you see the new star when you came in? It's really cool. I could turn it blue or green or white. <laughs> anyway, it's, it's 
we've upgraded the whole thing. So <laughs> you don't want to miss that. And then if you come at 11 p.m., uh, late into the evening, that's a service of lessons and carols. So uh, songs and readings from scripture. It'll be the same, uh, the same theme of the sermon, but a little different, a little uh, more low-key. And we'll serve communion at 11 p.m. and finish the service out by the tree as our tradition. So anyway, all that's going to be going on uh, Christmas Eve or the fourth Sunday of Advent. And so, but like I said, each week we're going to be taking one of these special names and, and really thinking about it. And the goal of, of this is that we might know and experience all of who Jesus is. Um, so whether you're exploring faith or new to faith or you've been walking with Jesus for a long time, we want to know him in all of his fullness, who he is and what he has done. So the question is then, how do I know and experience Jesus as wonderful counselor, as mighty God, as everlasting father, as the prince of peace? So today we're considering how we know and experience Jesus as wonderful counselor. So I'm going to give you a little historic background of this prophecy from Isaiah. I think it's an interesting story. I think it's a helpful story for us. And it'll be the foundation for all four weeks, same background. And then I want to consider what does it mean, what does wonderful counselor even mean? And how is Jesus the wonderful counselor? And then lastly, you know, what does it mean for us to know and experience Jesus as the wonderful counselor. Let us pray. So, Father, we thank you um, that you have come, that you um, came to this world to show us yourself. And as we think of who you are, we pray during this season that you would just expand our hearts and minds to comprehend, uh, that we would even experience more of who you are as we reflect on these things. So we, we pray that you would do your good work and that you would teach us during this time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the background of this amazing prophecy, this amazing prophecy of a child to be born with these amazing names, these amazing titles, it starts in 735 before Christ, 735 years before Christ. We have the prophet Isaiah. God is giving him messages for the king. The king's name is Ahaz. He's the king of Judah, the southern nation. So we have a divided kingdom, Israel in the north, Judah in the south, and King Ahaz, and he's just a bad king. He's a bad dude. He's an evil guy. And, but he, there's a season where there was a threat against the nation of Judah from their sister nation, Israel, and from Aram. So Aram and Israel are threatening Judah. And there's another threat is the, the up-and-coming superpower, the nation of Assyria. So there's threats from the north, there's threats from Assyria, and they were afraid. Isaiah 7-2 says, the, heart of, the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. It's beautiful poetic language, but they are afraid. They, this, this little nation is being threatened in all these ways. But here's the message from God. His message is, do not be afraid. Isaiah 7-4, say to him, say to Ahaz, be careful, keep calm, do not be afraid, do not lose heart. Tuck away that command, that encouragement there. Do not be afraid and do not lose heart. We're going to come back to that later. But basically, God is, is telling this king, you're going to be safe. These nations, Aram and Israel, they will not be victorious over you. They will not, this attack will not be successful um, Isaiah 7.7, 7, it will not take place, it will not happen. And you can be so certain of it, Ahaz, 
ask God for any sign to prove that it's true. Just ask God for a sign, and he will give it to you, and he'll show you that's true. And Ahaz says, no, nah, it's okay. I don't need a sign from God. Why would he do that? He did it because he had already decided in his heart or in his mind that he was, instead of trusting God, he was going to align himself with this powerful superpower of Assyria, that he was going to ally with them against his other foes, and that was Ahaz. Instead of trusting God, he's going to trust this powerful nation. So God says, well, if you're, not, if you're not going to ask for a sign, I'm going to give you a sign anyway. And the sign is the sign of a child to be born, the child called Emmanuel. Isaiah 7.14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel, which we know means God with us. And we know this is fulfilled in Jesus, that Jesus is truly Emmanuel, God with us. So the message is basically, okay, good news you're not going to be attacked. You're safe for now. The bad news, though, as Isaiah keeps bringing God's message to Ahaz, the bad news is that actually you are going to be destroyed, but it's going to be from Assyria, this nation that you're about to ally with. They're going to take you out. God is going to use Assyria like an axe to chop you down, and you're going to be just a stump left there. However, in the midst of that, in the midst of this harsh bad news, God knows that there will be a faithful remnant of people who will turn back to God in faith. And God wants to restore these true followers. So from the cut-down stump up out of this is going to come the Messiah. And that's where we get to the really good news of the message in chapter 9, as was read for us. All of the sorrow that they're about to experience is going to turn into rejoicing. It's going to become good. God's desire to love his people is outweighing his, um, all this judgment. And there will be a son to be born, a prediction of a, of a child to be born, a special child in the far future, the ultimate fulfillment of Emmanuel. And it's, it's this promise of a child, um, and he will be called, or the old King James, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And that's the beautiful promise to God's people. So for us, I would say every day we have basically the same choice that Ahaz had. So King Ahaz was feeling the pressure. He was threatened. He was fearful. The people were fearful. And there's three things you can do. You can trust your own strength. You can trust someone else's strength. Or you can trust God. And those are the choices that were always laid before us. For us, we know that we can trust God because God is the wonderful counselor. So what does that mean, wonderful counselor? Now, the word wonderful there is, is not really wonderful. It's the word wonder. Literally, a wonder of a counselor. The word wonder is, uh, is a noun. A, a wonder who counsels. That's the, the name, the title here. We can say wonderful counselor. But in the Old Testament, the word wonder or wonderful is only ever attributed to God, never to a person, never to a human. So what, we, we use that word all the time. Oh, I had a nice dinner last night. How wonderful. No, that's not Bible wonder. Bible wonder is are things like God parting the sea and the people walking through on dry land and them escaping slavery. I mean, that's wonder, the wonders of God, the, the power and the miracles of God, things that are beyond our comprehension. 
Sometimes in scripture it's translated marvelous. So if you see marvelous or wonderful, this is always talking about God, who he is and what he has done. Not just, well, God's wonderful. No, no, God is wondrous and marvelous. And so this wonder is also counselor, advisor. This is the one who has the, the will and the plans and the knowledge the, the one who doesn't need any advice. This is really divine language. This is, a, a, or it, it, the image here is of a king, very kingly language. So that you would go to the king for counsel, for advice. So he's the, the wondrous counselor together. All of the, so it's a king, a divine king who has all the treasures of wisdom and all the treasures of understanding and knowledge. And this is what Christmas is all about. Jesus was the wonderful counselor. And he proved it. Jesus was full of wonders. We've been reading through the Gospel of John and and preaching through that together. And we see Jesus performing wondrous miracles. He's healing the blind. He's healing the lame. He's miraculously feeding, and he has control over even nature itself. Uh, the, The point of all these miracles is that Jesus is revealing himself as the wonder. He's, he's revealing himself as God, as the God of the universe. And again, that's, you know, we don't see wonders in the same way today. We do see wonders. I believe in miracles, absolutely. We see people miraculously healed. We see people miraculously coming to faith. We see these things. But the, the point of the miracles then, and even the miracles now, wasn't so that really good things would happen. It's just so we could see how really good Jesus is. That they all point to him. Jesus, you know, provides bread, but then he says, I am the bread. You know, I am the wonder. Jesus is the ultimate wonder. All these things point to Jesus. But Jesus is not just wonder, but he's also counselor. And we see throughout his ministry, Jesus, that the wisdom of God spoken to humans, the teaching to the crowds. Jesus' interaction with individuals, with a Samaritan woman at a well, with a religious leader at nighttime. Jesus, with his disciples, teaching them about the kingdom of God, a kingdom of light that is breaking into a world of darkness and that will be expanding and what that kingdom is like and what it will be. Jesus, all of his wisdom and all of his teaching to his people. Jesus, the wonderful counselor. And the wonder of Jesus and the counsel of Jesus come together perfectly at the cross of Jesus. Because the cross of Jesus, what we have is Jesus giving his life to save his people. And he willingly gives his life and he dies. But then the amazing miracle, the amazing wonder of the resurrection, where Jesus demonstrates power over life and death itself, that Jesus is raised from the dead to new life. It's just the most wonderful thing, but it's also the wisdom of God in that. I'm going to read a passage of Scripture for you. This is a long passage, but this is how the cross is described as the wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 says this. It says, The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent. I will frustrate. Where's the wise man? Where's the scholar? Where's the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. 
Jews demand a miraculous sign. Greeks look for wisdom. We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block for the Jews, foolishness to the Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom. The weakness of God, the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. It's it's God's wisdom and his wonder all wrapped up in what he accomplished on that cross. And when Jesus came, to, he came to show us the kingdom way, his way, the way of the cross. Jesus is the wonderful counselor. So how is Jesus the wonderful counselor for us today? Well, for us today, we experience Jesus as wonderful counselor by his spirit, the Holy Spirit. And in the the passage of Scripture from the Gospel of John that was read for us, we we see that there is another advocate, another counselor, uh, John 14, 16. Jesus says, I will ask the Father. He will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. So there's there's another one. Jesus said, look, I'm the first. I am the wonderful counselor. But there's another counselor, another advocate who's going to be with you. The word advocate or counselor there is the word parakletos. It's a Compound word in Greek, so, uh, para, alongside, kletos, called. It's the one who is called alongside you. It has sort of a technical meaning of maybe legal counsel or a legal advocate like a lawyer. You know, the one who walks with you through the trial, the one who has the wisdom to guide you through the trial. It's a, it's a different word, but it's the exact same idea of counselor here. And this is a counselor who is not just with you, but look at verse 17. You know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Not only is the counselor beside me, but the counselor is within me, guiding me from within. This is truly, the Holy Spirit is therefore truly Emmanuel, truly God with us, God in us even. What does the Spirit do to guide us? Verse 26 says, The Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. So the role of the Spirit is to teach us and to remind us and and make God's Word come alive to us and help us apply God's Word to our everyday lives and everything that we do. That's why we value the Bible so much because the Spirit is illuminating it as we read it, as we meditate on it. That's why it's important for us to give, we have a ceremony where we're giving Bibles to children so that they can experience that. That's why we gather in small groups to study the Bible together. That's why we uh, encourage you to read your Bible and have uh, reflection and devotion time. That's why we preach from the Bible. This is, uh, that's why I want you to take one of these. This is our de- the devotional book, these purple books. Make sure to take one today. Today is the first reading in the book. So if you turn to week one, day one, uh, that's today's reading. But make sure you have your Bible in your hand. These are great readings, but they're inspired from Scripture. Scripture is more important than this. So today's was from Micah. I think it was from Micah. So you look in your Bible, or if you have an app or some way to access the Scriptures, read that first, and then read the reflection on that. Now, real quick, for some reason, week one only has six days in this, and then week two has six days, and then week three has seven days. I have no idea why. This is not a tradition of the church. It is not some ancient thing. It's, it seems to be missing days, which is probably why we got a good deal on it. So <laughs> take, uh, 
<laughs> they were way cheaper than last year. Anyway, so when you get to Saturday, there's no reading. So you can make up for the days you missed or reread or just pray um, and then pick back up day one on Sunday, okay? Sunday is day one. Then the rest of it will make sense. I don't know. Okay. Um, where was I? Oh, the, the advocate. This is the, this, but the Spirit is reminding us of God's Word, is teaching us, helping us to apply it. In verse 27, the, the Holy Spirit, the Counselor, is, uh, does this. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. Remember those words? It's the same message to King Ahaz as Jesus gives to his followers. Do not let your heart be troubled. Do not be afraid. The role of the Holy Spirit as counselor is to uh, take our fear and give us his peace. You got to remember the opposite of faith isn't disbelief. The opposite of faith is fear. And we come full circle. If Ahaz, in his day, and us in our day, when we're faced with a trial, when we're faced with the fears and uncertainties of life, we can rely on ourselves, we can rely on other people, or we can rely on God. But when we don't rely on God, your fear doesn't go away. In fact, not only does your fear not go away, but your fears get worse when we don't bring them to God. We must transfer our fears to God in faith and let his spirit give us peace. Because if we don't, then whatever we do to fix our fears, then we need to worry about whatever we did to fix it. For example, Ahaz. So Ahaz, in his day, he was tempted to, he's trying to deal with all this, like all these threats against his nation. So he allies with Assyria, who's a very powerful nation. But what happens? Now he's got to worry about Assyria. He's got to worry about their power. He's got to worry about their gods. He's got to worry about that. And you can, we don't have time to go into it all. It goes spectacularly bad. Assyria ends up, as Isaiah prophesied, Assyria ends up attacking the people and they just get destroyed. It's just, it's terrible. I think for us, when we take our fears, whatever we do to alleviate our fears, it just become one more fear. For example, if, you're, if your fear is not having enough money or not having enough resources, what do you do? You can depend on yourself and work harder and have new means of gaining wealth and, and uh, new jobs and all these things, and that's good, except now you've got to worry about losing those things or your ability to do them. See, the fear just gets transferred from one thing to the other. If your fear is that you know, people won't accept you, you know, for who you really are, what do you do? Well, you behave in a certain way where you'll be better accepted by people and people will approve of you. And then you start living out this new kind of approved you and you got to maintain that and work at that. But what does that really do? You didn't get what you wanted in the first place. What you wanted is for people to accept you as you are, but now people are accepting this new kind of version of you and that's, you, you see, it doesn't go anywhere. Your fear doesn't go anywhere until you turn it over to God and let his spirit bring you peace in the midst of your fear, in the midst of the trial, in the midst, in the midst of the trouble. We, can, we need to allow him to be wonderful counselor, truly, and he can be. So if the, if the counselor we experience, really we're talking about the Holy Spirit, then what we need to do is be filled with the Spirit of God. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, being filled with the Holy Spirit is a continual thing in the life of a believer. 
It's not a one-time thing. We are born of the Spirit when we come to faith. That's how we are. That's how we come to Christ. We are sealed with God's Holy Spirit in all who believe, but we're not always filled to the fullness of the Spirit. That's why the Apostle Paul, when he writes to the church in Ephesus, these are a bunch of Christians, he said, be filled with the Holy Spirit. That we, we need to have a filling as an ongoing part of our lives because it's very easy, even though the Spirit is within us, to just operate in our flesh, to just follow our own desires and thoughts and not follow the Spirit. So we need to be filled with the Spirit. But that's not always, being filled with the Spirit isn't always, say, isn't always sizzle hot. It isn't always spectacular. Now, some people experience the Holy Spirit in very sizzle hot, spectacular kind of ways, especially early in their faith journey. Uh, but we, we need to remember that, you know, as we, as we walk with the Lord, day in and day out, as we seek to be guided by His Spirit, that filling of the Holy Spirit can feel normal. It actually should feel normal if, if you're the regular part of your life is just seeking God's Spirit to be guided by the wonderful counselor, the Holy Spirit. And so, um, again, it, it's, it's, the, it's the normal rhythm of life where we're seeking, you know, it, it, as John said, the Spirit is teaching us. The Spirit is reminding us. It's just reminding us and teaching us uh, how, you know, how to live God's kingdom way. So it doesn't have to always feel spectacular. It can feel very normal. At the same time, we, we tend to, you know, when we sort of aren't walking, as Scripture says, we're not always walking in line with the Spirit. We need to realign ourselves and, and seek to be filled uh, in, in greater ways. And so how do we do that? Well, I'll give you a few things here. One we see right here in the text is obedience. Uh, John 14, 15, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commands, in verse 16, and I'll ask the Father and he'll give you another advocate to help you. As you are obedient to what I'm commanding, there is a flow of the Spirit that we'll experience that you won't experience if you're just walking in sin and walking in rebellion against God. So what do we do? Confess your sins. When you sin, confess your sins to God and receive his forgiveness and experience his Holy Spirit. If you find yourself in a rhythm of sin, a habitual sin, you may need to confess it to other people to, to give you some accountability so that you can break that pattern um, and receive the grace of God and, and walk in the Spirit. The second thing I'd say is, in addition to confessing your sins, is related to it, is as you receive forgiveness from God, seek to be reconciled to other people. So if you have broken relationships in your life or if you have unforgiveness, to, to seek reconciliation with people. That goes hand in hand with reconciliation to God. And then lastly, I'd say just ask. Just ask God to fill you with his spirit. Do you know what God loves to do? He loves to pour out his spirit. He loves to fill his children with the wonderful counselor, Holy Spirit. Luke eleven thirteen 13 says this. If you, though you're evil, you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? How much more will our perfect heavenly Father give us his Spirit? So we just ask him, God, today, fill me with your Spirit. Be my wonderful counselor today. Jesus 
is the wonderful counselor who guides us by his Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you. For, we thank you that Christ has come. We thank you for the cross by which we are reconciled to you. And we thank you for your Holy Spirit, which teaches and guides our lives. God, I pray that you would just pour out your Holy Spirit, that the Spirit that's within us would just come alive and fill us in such a way that we would know your wisdom, that we would know your way, and that we would experience the life that you uh, have for us. That we might turn from turn from our sin, turn from all the things we rely on, and trust you, Lord. In the midst of our fears, that you would give us your peace, and that we would always know that you are with us and within us, and we give you all the glory for that. Wonderful counselor, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.